don't be confused about what business you're in and what your strengths actually are, because I think pride and arrogance and blindness in that area can really destroy you. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely wound up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. With us today, Travis Daggett. How you doing, Travis? Doing great. Thanks, Joe. Well, nice to have you on the show, my friend. Travis is the owner at Cornerstone Props Co., a premier real estate redevelopment and renovation company. He's been a full-time real estate investor for five years. He made five figures on his first wholesale deal. He's married 19 years and has three amazing kids, and he's based in Eugene, Oregon. With that being said, Travis, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? Yeah, sure. Well, the five figures doesn't really sound that impressive. However, I did start with literally no money. So that was a deal where I think I had an earnest money deposit in the deal and I netted $7,000 plus. So it was a little better. That could be $1,000. That's no big <laughs> deal. But for my first deal, it was all right. Well, five figures would be 10000 plus because that would be five numbers. Yeah. See, well, this is proof that you don't have to be a genius to be a real estate investor. Um, there's a lot smarter people doing all kinds of things, but they're not necessarily making more money. And sometimes they're too smart for their own good. <laughs> all right. So you made 7000 on your first. Let's start there. How about that? Let's start with your first wholesale deal. You made $7,000 on it. Can you tell us a story about that a little bit more? Before this, I was a sales trainer for an insurance company. And uh, I was traveling all over. So they, 
they laid off about a quarter of the staff. So that was a blessing in disguise. So I just started learning everything I could. Had a couple of rentals before. And that was about the extent of my real estate investing experience. And I started learning about wholesaling, specifically HUD properties. So this was 2011 when there were a lot of HUDs. And there was just a, a little loophole where you could make bids every single day on HUD properties. And you really could do it yourself. You could just find an agent that was sympathetic, I guess, and get their login information, essentially work with them as their assistant if you needed to be an unlicensed assistant and make bids every single day. So that's what I did. Got a property under contract and then found a buyer and did a back-to-back closing because HUD won't allow assignments. So I bought it for seven and sold it for 17. And all I had was the earnest money deposit out of pocket, which I think is 500 bucks. And I had some closing costs and that type of thing. So I think I netted over seven. Mm. All right. And that was your first wholesale deal. And catch us up to speed from then until what you're doing now. Well, 2012 was great. Because again, a lot of HUDs. And I started thinking mistakenly that I was in the real estate investing business at that point. I really wasn't in the real estate investing business. I was more in, in a tech business and real light on the real estate investing. So that led me to think I knew more than I knew and start buying at the auction, which of course was okay. And I did all right. But then I thought I could get into rehabbing without really understanding it. So 2013 is when I bought a property or two wrong. When I say bought wrong, I made the first and maybe the most deadly mistake in real estate investing, which is just buying for too much. It's really hard and impossible to overcome that mistake. So I made some mistakes along the way, and then HUD dried up, as a lot of people probably know. Auction properties dried up. By that, I mean the supply went down, competition went up. So I needed to learn to source my own deals directly from sellers. I started doing that in 2014, and uh, it's been a roller coaster, both results-wise and, and when you're self-employed, it's an emotional roller coaster too. But I've been really fortunate to partner with somebody that knows more than me and learn from him for the past couple of years. So now we're sourced. We haven't bought off the MLS since 2013, I think, and we've wow. sourced our own deals for the last two or three years. And what type of volume are you doing on a monthly or annual basis? Nothing crazy. I used to think that was the goal is to do more deals, but now I'd rather do less deals that are more profitable. So probably average a deal a month, but we did have one deal that was over six figures and we had a wholesale deal that was almost $50,000. So we've been able to get some more profitable deals mm-hmm. and focus on that instead of volume. And since you are selective with the properties that you end up working on, what is your criteria that you look at for a property to pass the test? Well, we have two main targets or really lists that we're going after because most of our deals come from direct mail. So the first one is properties where we've actually driven through neighborhoods, seen the property, wrote down the address looked up the owner information, send them a letter. So that's really the most expensive and valuable list that you can have, at least we believe, because we don't have to guess 
at whether the property is a property that we want to buy. When we've marketed to absentee owner lists, for example, in the past, you got people calling to have a move-in ready house. And really, that's not good for them, not good for us. There's really no way for us to create value or margin in a transaction like that because we're not real estate agents looking for listings. So the first target is residential properties, mostly single family, and we just call it our driving for dollars or our neighborhood list. And then the second is foreclosures where the bank has filed either a notice of default for a non-judicial foreclosure or a Liz pendants for a judicial foreclosure. As an organ, we have both. And we've gotten, I don't know, a number of deals that way, targeting that list. And that's a lot more labor intensive for each transaction. Will you walk us through the process for how that works and your role and what data or resources you need to have access to? When I started in 2011 on HUD properties, again, it was real admin heavy. It was really more of a tech business. And thankfully, that's an area where I'm stronger. And so I started using virtual assistants and I couldn't have done what I did then without them and I couldn't do it now. So we use virtual assistants to do a lot of the scrubbing on our lists. So we'll go out and drive through a neighborhood. Let's say we take a day and we come up with a few hundred addresses. And then the VAs, they're usually overseas. They're in India or the Philippines. So they'll, during the night, literally over here, they'll use property radar or whatever other site we need for that county. They'll find the owner's names and their mailing address because they may be different. And that completes our list. With the foreclosure properties, we just get those from the title company. That's free. So there's scrubbing involved there, though, as far as kind of prioritizing the properties that we're going to go after more heavily in the beginning. Equity, for sure. Property with a good interest rate in case we want to assume the mortgage or purchase it subject to the existing mortgage, that type of thing. Will you tell us about the last deal you did and give us the numbers and tell us which one of these paths allowed you to find it? Yeah, sure. The last deal, final numbers aren't in on that, but that's fine. It goes through the process pretty well. So the property that was on the foreclosure list, it was non-judicial foreclosure. So we always, always, always have to have a cooperative seller, of course, or cooperative homeowner. We want to help them. They have to want the help. And it's really a win for the bank, too, if you understand negotiating with a bank. They're not in the business of property restoration or property management or really anything to do with property. So it's a win for them. So there were two loans on the property. We went through a, a number of rounds of the bank of, of negotiating and were able to postpone the sale a couple of times, which helps us. In this case, we actually weren't successful in negotiating a discount with the first lender, but we knew even if we purchased it for the amount of the first mortgage and the second, it'd still be a deal. So we went ahead and paid off the first. They're the one foreclosing. And then we continued to negotiate with the second, even though they really had no reason to negotiate with us. But we thought we'd just give it a shot and ended up getting it for the, the amount of the first and the second. But it was still a deal especially when you consider the market here where it's less than two months of inventory, so it's very competitive. Prices are going up. 
I don't mean we're buying, um, you know, for speculation, but we were all in on our purchase, I think at 140. And as it sat, it was probably worth in the upper hundreds. And then with a renovation of probably 30,000, nothing major, it'd be worth in the low 200s and I'll rent for, oh, we'll probably rent it out for 1500 a month, I would guess. Mm-hmm. So we usually shoot for, our aim high is definitely a 1% rent to cost ratio. But in Eugene area, we also have appreciation. So we'll go anywhere from 075 to 0.8% up to 1% rent to cost ratio. Is your goal to buy and hold these properties? Right. So my partner has a property management company. So that's our partnership is I find the properties. So I'm in charge of the marketing and finding the deals. And then at that point, he really takes over as far as the property management side. And that's what we've done on all but one. We've wholesaled one, but everything in the last couple of years, we've held on to through his property management company. And do you just split the cost 50-50? Well, cost of the marketing, again, I was really fortunate to, to find a guy that really knows his stuff and he's honest. We met at a real estate investing RIA group real estate investor association. So yeah, we basically split the costs up front for the marketing. And then since we're not cashing out the property, so to speak, we just get an appraisal on the property because usually we're going to finance out of it with a bank loan. So now we have an appraisal. We know what we're all into it. So we have our equity in the property. And so then at that point, I can either say, well, okay, I'll take the equity as a payout right now. Or I can say, well, I'll stay in the property and we'll just uh, split the cash flow. Oh, okay. All right. Either one of you have the flexibility to either cash out your equity at closing and be done with that property and the other person holds on to it or you both have ownership and enjoy the cash flow and appreciation. Yeah, I mean, it's really more of his choice than mine. I'm fine with that, of course because he's got the property management company, but it's just one of those for people have been in bad partnerships and good ones. And uh, it's probably pretty rare. I'm thankful for that, but there just hasn't been that kind of tension where we feel like we're on opposite sides of the table. For the most part, we feel like we're on the same side of the table. We're not negotiating against each other. Mm-hmm. So it's been a good situation. Yeah. It's refreshing when you have a business partner like that. Just for point of clarification, you said it's really up to him on that. I don't understand that point. Can you elaborate? We have different ways of looking at who controls a deal and whose it is, so to speak, who owns it. So since I'm finding most of the deals, I could say, well, okay, these are my deals. However, early on, just because of the, the nature of our partnership and relationship, we both just agreed all the deals we just throw into the pot. So we weren't in a situation where I was saying, okay, here's a deal. How much do you want for it? It's traditional wholesaler type of attitude. Instead, here's a deal and let's see what we can do with it. So that's part of it is he has access to a lot more capital than I do at better rates at least. So he's funding the deals. So I'm happy to give him a lot of the decision-making authority that way too. That makes sense. Yeah. We're both in agreement. It's not like I'm saying, Hey, we should flip this thing because we're going to make six figures 
just after doing floor and paint. And he's saying, well, no, I want to hold on to this. Most of them, it's pretty clear when we buy it, it's going to be a rental. For example, we purchased one for a few hundred thousand in Eugene. So that one, we know it's going to be a flip when we're done with the rehab. Mm-hmm. Okay. The point I had missed was that he was financing them and you were finding them. And once you said that, it made a lot of sense. Okay. If your partner were to move away for whatever reason and you had to find a new partner, how would you qualify that new partner so that you would attempt to have the same caliber of partner that you have now? Tough question. In partnerships, in business, and I'm sure just generally in life, it's usually, I found, from my experience, it's usually the or the intangibles or the character issues that damage partnerships or damage businesses, as opposed to people's aptitude. I think we all know really smart, skilled people that can self-destruct and destroy partnerships. So in the case of my partner, I was able to thankfully observe him for a couple of years just through the RIA and just through some acquaintances and watching him in his business and seeing that he was someone that did what they said they were going to do. He had a track record of success in partnering with other people. So without that knowledge, it'd be really tough to find a partner or to choose a partner. But I'd have to start with somebody that plays to my weaknesses, kind of like a marriage. You know, if if you have the same strengths and weaknesses, that can be a little bit of a challenge. So it should be somebody that is strong where I'm weak and maybe where they're weak, I'm strong. So in our partnership now, I'm certainly not strong in negotiating and, and funding. I've gotten pretty strong in admin and stronger in marketing. So I'd say somebody that's strong on the funding side and the construction side, that's who I'd look for. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I kind of alluded to it earlier. I'd say don't be confused about what business you're in and what your strengths actually are because I think pride and arrogance and blindness in that area can really destroy you. Now, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Still ready. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at cix.com. At cix.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. Get funded and download your free funding kit at cix.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book, Visioneering by Andy Stanley best ever deal you've done deal in eugene it was a short sale over six figures in profit now is that six figures is that seven or is that five or four or three i have to ask you now a second time i got it straight now this is tax season (laughs) i gotta i gotta i gotta nail it (laughs) best ever way you like to give back i think it's just a lifestyle it's really planned 
So all of us can give emotionally when we see the kid on TV with the belly sticking out. But I think giving is really a lifestyle. So it's planned. We plan that we're going to give a certain amount. We're not just surprised at the end of the year when we do our taxes. What's the biggest mistake you've made on a deal? Well, hey, I think I talked about this one earlier, but uh, I'll relive that painful memory again. Bought at auction. So, of course, it's done. Paid cash. Trusted a partner who unintentionally, he just was outside his area of expertise as well. Then we made it worse by over rehabbing it by about double. Then we made it worse still by selling it with seller financing. Not that that's a bad strategy in general, but just delaying our misery and then ended up taking the loss. I think two years after we bought it, we should have just swallowed the poison back a couple of years earlier and taken the loss. Tell us about the six figure profit that you made. Tell us the numbers on that one, will you? Really desirable area near campus, the UVO. It took over a year to finish it, to close on it. So when we first saw it, it was short sale, direct mail marketing, they called us. As soon as we looked at it, even online, looked at comps and stuff, we knew, wow, this was a great area property. We really wanted to have it. And even before we looked at it, we said, if we can get this anywhere near 300000 it's a deal. So we met with the sellers. They were very cooperative. He was actually a patent attorney. So he knew a little bit about the legal process and it took a long time, a lot of hand-holding. I don't mean that in a condescending way, just walking them through the process and negotiating with the banks, meeting the BPO agent there, dealing with all kinds of liens that popped up with credit cards and just going through that whole process. And we ended up buying it for 244 I think. So just right out of the gate, we had probably 50000 in equity. And then it was a light rehab. And of course, over the years from when we started to when we finished, that area went through the roof. Even then property values, it probably went up double digits. So we ended up with over $100,000 in equity when we ended up closing on it and got it finished rehabbing and then appraised. That's great. How much did you put into the rehab? About? About 30. And what'd you sell it for? Maybe less. Maybe 25. No, we held on to this one because it's a hot campus rental area. So I really don't know off the top of my head what we rent it for, but I would have to guess it's in the twos. I couldn't see it renting for less than 2000 a month. Yeah, sounds like a great buy and hold. That's for sure. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Email address is sell to cornerstone at Gmail. So that's my business, Cornerstone Properties. Eugene is the name of the business. So that email, sell, T-O, spelled out, sell to cornerstone at Gmail. Well, Travis, thank you for being on the show and talking about the deals that you've done, how you're getting those deals, the $100,000 in equity that you have as a buy and hold, how you found it, and the short sale process, along with the partnership stuff, because that's really important. Real estate, it really is a partnership and team environment. And we have to be careful who we partner with. I love the approach that you take. It is really about having someone who plays to your weaknesses. And I found the same thing with my partners that have worked out. They are strong where I'm not. And I'm strong where they're not. And it makes for the best partnership. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. And we'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. Thanks, Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at CIX.com. At CIX.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. 
Get funded and download your free funding kit at cix.com.